0: You are listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news.
1: I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor, doctor,
0: doctor, 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 and doctor.
1: It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Doctor Rashid Batar.
0: I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. A doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. <laughs>
1: The Doctor is in. All right, Dr. Bittar, I'd I give you a pop quiz, but I just did it on the break to be sure. But we are losing a lot of our, let's say, famous musicians and movie stars at the age of 67, 68, 69. But David Bowie last week, uh, the actor... Uh, Alan Rickman, just today Glenn fry, he was the guitarist for the Eagles Hotel California, you remember Hotel oh, yeah, California? I know
0: that, I know the song, yeah, now that you say yeah. that you asked me, I didn't know who that was, but now yeah. i got it
1: so, so anyway, big time uh, and this guy was only 67, these are the 1947, 1948, 1949 post-World War II, early early years, post-World War II babies and they're dying in their late 60s, cancer, in this case Glenn Fry colitis pneumonia, and you know other things that complications associated with it. He had the surgery surgery on his uh, uh, on his uh, colon, but I- I'm just thinking that whole leap in let's say longevity or what we call life expectancy in the 20th century, which you and I know mostly res- because of improvements in the terrain, right? Hygiene, sanitation, even nutrition. Of course, the reduction of infant mortality caused the, st- the statistics to change dramatically in the 20th century. But I think those years after World War II, we're going to see a decline in life expectancy from now until whenever, based on the way we've lived on this planet?
0: Well, I think that if you're going to compare it from in, in the last 10, 15 years, you know, from that point onwards, I think you probably are correct. I would agree with that as well. I think if you look at it from, say, 100 years ago, I think we're way beyond the life expectancy of our great-grandparents and our grandparents. Uh, Well, great-grandparents, I'd definitely say that, maybe not grandparents, Um, and I think it's mostly because of the inundation of things such as the preservatives, the insecticides, pesticides, and the food supplies, the the vaccines, the overexposure of many of these toxins, and I think that if we go 20 years from now, and maybe even 30 years from now, you're going to see a greater dichotomy between acute traumatic-type medicine and you're going to see the chronic palliative-type medicine. And we're going to see um, people living through more severe catastrophes because of the signs of uh, regeneration and repair, et cetera. And we're going to see people dying earlier from unexplained causes or whatever you want to call it, you know, the
1: sure.
0: things, like one of For, the stories we're going to cover today, the unexplained cause of death. You know,
1: well, years. chronic diseases of degradation, but also, you know, as I said, early 20th century you had a higher infant mortality overall. There were improvements, and certainly, you know, we're, we go back to semmelwise and we go, oh, my gosh, the doctors figured out that washing their hands in between cutting up on cadavers and delivering babies was a good idea. But also, uh, in terms of enhancements in sanitation and sewage, that was huge in regards to reduction of disease and infant mortality, because if you have, let's say, you know, X number of, of babies dying at year one, two, or three, it's going to take the statistics of those who are living to 70, 80, or 90 and cut them down into half. You're going to say the average life expectancy is in your 40s. But if you right. eliminate the majority of people dying at age 1, 2, and 3, suddenly you're going to see those statistics go way high into 60s, 70s, and perhaps even 80s. But what if we see now an increase in infant mortality due to what? Sudden infant death syndrome. And our first story I wanted to talk to you about comes from our friend Jeffrey Ofterheide. They covered it over at backtruth.com. One-year-old dies after vaccination; death ruled to be unexplained due to natural causes. Did you get to read that article? I did. I mean, yeah. that just—it just hits you right in the gut. Another, another one like that.
0: Yeah, and you know, the thing is that I don't know how many deaths are actually occurring like that, Robert, that are not being reported. You know, there's. Okay, so let's let's look at what happens. We know that virtually. Uh, all children have some type of adverse response within the first 12 hours to the first two weeks after getting a vaccine. We know that. How many of those do get reported versus are thought to be just coincidental, nobody even attributes it to the vaccine, like they get a sore throat, they get a high fever, blah, blah, blah. You know, the thing about uh, fever-induced seizures, right, Mm -hmm. It's a very common thing. It's from a high fever. Many kids get a vaccine three, four, five, seven days later, they have a response like this. They never get associated. The parents don't associate the two because in their mind, propaganda has brainwashed them that, hey, when you get a vaccine, you're being protected. So if you happen to get the flu, oh, you're so lucky you got the flu vaccine or you got the vaccine before the child got sick, because had you not gotten it before the child got sick, he would have been worse off. It's that type of thought process that's indoctrinated into these parents. So they don't attribute the connection between the vaccine and the acute febrile seizure or whatever the case may be. So I think there's a huge uh, disparity in the in the numbers when we start looking at the actual number of children that are having sequela from the vaccine. So now we start right. looking at a child that dies from a vaccine and it's attributed. Of course, they ruled it as in this particular case as a. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, natural causes.
1: Natural causes. Sudden infant death syndrome to natural causes. I don't. I don't even know how you equate those two to be natural causes, honestly. But maybe there's a way.
0: Well, but my point is, though so in this particular case, somebody attributed to the vaccine, but they're saying it's a natural causes. But how many other ones are being attributed to natural causes, but nobody brings the connection between the vaccines? Mm-hmm. In other words, there may be ten kids that died in the last month of vaccines, but only one of them. Was where somebody made this connection between the vaccines and they still declared it natural causes. The other nine that were declared natural causes, nobody ever talked about. And I don't know what those numbers are. I'm, I'm just saying that I know that when I worked emergency medicine and I've got over 10,000 hours of documented ER time and the last ER shift I did was before Abby was born. That was, you know, 1999. And I know in that time period, there were kids that would be brought in in you know, sudden, a sudden infant death syndrome and... Nobody knew. I mean, the etiology of sudden death, death uh, infant death syndrome was unknown, even though there has been research associated with the uh, whooping cough vaccine, the whole versus the uh, attenuated vaccines. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that was done by the Geiers regarding that component. But my point is, how many children died from vaccines and they said, oh, it's sudden infant death syndrome? They gave it a term right. so that you took it away from the vaccine aspect.
1: Sure, sure. And I, every time I hear SIDS, I think immediately, first and foremost, how far from a vaccine did it happen? Because in the case of this one-year-old, uh, he had gone in for that tw- so-called 12-month healthy baby checkup. And what did they give him, a series of four or five vaccines, including the flu shot, which we know is likely to contain 25 micrograms of mercury?
0: Yep. And so... You know, it doesn't even have to be, like, necessarily in close proximity. Sometimes it's a cascade that it, be- uh, it begins. It's uh, the domino that first got hit, and the three weeks or four weeks later, that last domino in the, uh, occurs, and the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back occurs, and that's when the child dies. So it doesn't have to be within a day or two days necessarily. I mean, sometimes it's, uh, it's a cascade that begins. And so without a doubt, it's, uh, it's a sudden infant death syndrome in my world it's a vaccine-induced you know whooping cough vaccine-induced issue
1: yeah by the way this article we're referring to is put out by our friend jeffrey after he has vac truth.com one-year-old dies after vaccination death ruled unexplained due to natural causes and it seems like the doctors the, uh, the those that perform the autopsies etc they they seemingly are very reluctant to link unless you fight 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 like hell to make them include that the child had just received a number of vaccines. In this case, MMR, varicella, hepatitis A, and flu vaccines. This was uh, six vaccine doses given to him in four injections. And he screamed like they had never heard before. Three days later, he had a fever. And, of course, the mistake there, even though it's well intended, they give him Tylenol. Tylenol, of course, congests liver pathways. And the liver is just screaming to try and detoxify this body. And so it can be the worst thing you can do uh, to give a Tylenol in these cases.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I would, I would take um, uh, an opposite stance. I would argue with you on that, Robert. Um, I, I would say that the worst thing is that they gave him the poison in the first place. In the oh, sense.
1: yeah. Yeah, well, that goes without saying. Sorry about that. But, yeah, I agree with you. But then you you add, you compound the problem. You know, as we know, there are homeopathic remedies that deal with vaccinosis. You can do the nozodes as well to help detoxify. But the, we've got to open up the pathways of the liver and the kidneys and the spleen and the colon and the lymph, not congest them further Which, again, I understand their intention, but it's just a devastation that might be the thing that breaks the camel's back, the proverbial way of saying it.
0: Right. No, what I meant was that, you know, a child, you give 100 children Tylenol uh, for whatever reason, and I agree with you, it's not the best thing to do, but just say, Mm -hmm. you know, parents, it's out there, it's over-the-counter, everybody has it. You give a child 100 kids out of uh, Tylenol, you know, 100 kids are going to be fine. You give a child uh, a vaccine, Mm -hmm. and now you give them Tylenol, you're going to have problems across the board. So it's really, it's really the awareness. I mean, a parent, most parents, when they give the child a, a vaccine or a Tylenol for that matter, they're not, you know, they wouldn't do it if they thought that it was bad for them. Sure. But but it's the vaccine with the. You know,
1: it's a, it's an LD one plus LD one equals exactly, LD fifty or hundred. Again, it yeah, is. Exactly I agree. My, that's exactly my point. Yeah, no, and I'm not here to say, again, again, I don't want to be misconstrued that if you give your kid Tylenol, he's going to die. But I do know, as a homeopath, it, you know, that there are other ways to address the things that they're trying to address with Tylenol without congesting or damaging the liver in any way, and that's my point.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, myself, having prescribed Tylenol for so many times and haven't taken it, you know, even given to my kids, and I didn't have the benefit of your knowledge on the homeopathic standard. But I've told many people to, to take Tylenol, and, and sometimes, even even now, even though I know it's not the best thing, if a parent's calling me, and they're concerned, and, you know, child's got a fever, and they're not willing to just, you know, relax and don't worry about it, um, I'll say, well, then, if that's, you know, a parent says, can I take Tylenol, I'm not going to sit there and tell them, no, don't take Tylenol, don't take Tylenol.
1: Oh, like um, they need another excuse to come after you, if you were to exactly. say that. Yeah.
0: So I, yeah. I, let, I let that part go. I do tell them there are other things you can do, you know, go check your... A local health food store and get something that's homeopathic for fever um but the thing is that i would never tell anybody to go get a uh, you know okay go ahead and take the vaccine i'd, I'd right. never say that
1: say. no 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 we we know all too much the danger inherent in there perhaps we can find ways to make some of these homeopathics more available not less available in the near future that's what i'd I, like to see i'm
0: i'm hoping i'm hoping that happens sooner rather than later robert
1: Yep, yep. So we're, we're talking about some stuff behind the scenes. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to we're gonna take a quick break here. This is Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rashid Bittar. If you ever miss a show, the easiest way to catch up on the archives, go to medicalrewind.com. Of course, Dr. Bittar can be found at drbuttar.com, drbittar.com. And, of course, robertscottbell.com for all of the show notes and links and the things we're going to be talking about, some of which we already have. Check it out as well. Of course, archives through GCN, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Epic Times, and UK Health Radio, and TalkNetwork.com. Back after this.
0: Live around the world, the Robert Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Robert Scott Bell.
0: Sense out of medical propaganda.
1: Here's Robert. We added a uh, image to the show notes appropriate to today being MLK Day. I would be remiss if we did not uh, cover that. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. Freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. MLK Jr. I might I might add, uh, Doctor Bittar, that it, sometimes it has to be rewon by the oppressed, not only demanded but taken back.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of that other quote that uh, from the Justice uh, Supreme Court Justice, where he talks about. Um, we've talked about it before on the air, and I can't remember the name, but where he, he talks about that the the right of it's talking about uh, testifying against oneself, but it's talking about your rights. You must be
1: belligerent uh, right
0: are only retained by those that are belligerent and and refuse under all threat to give up their rights meaning you can those that are swayed by honeyed words and mm-hmm. something else i can't remember exactly how it goes but you know you know what i'm talking about right oh yeah
1: yeah i don't remember the exact quote but i remember a lot of the aspects of it and again it's one of those things where you, you can't expect folks to get kind of give you what you want just because Or, or, or it, what you're owed or what, or what you're own. owed, just because you think it's owed to you. You you exactly. have to win them. You have to demand. You have to be belligerent in defense of them. And that's the point here. And uh, certainly Martin Luther King uh, did an extraordinary thing in the 20th century, and he became a martyr to that cause and uh, you know anybody could point out and certainly there are people that politicize these events in these days and acknowledge it and say well he was this he was that he was you know it's like yeah listen we're all human you can always go back and dig deep enough and find something that could say oh see he wasn't as pure as you thought he was in some way just look at the good in this in this case or in this point the yeah, he, the standing up for freedom in a in a nonviolent way
0: yeah he uh, he was extraordinary and anybody who tries to contest that you know those types of agendas are always suspect. It's the same thing with Gandhi or any of these other people that did a tremendous amount of good uh, in in a peaceful manner, which is t- difficult to do. I mean, yeah. to create a movement is one thing; to create movement and do it within peace while you're being, mm-hmm. you know, pummeled—that's just another extraordinary leap.
1: It is. It absolutely is. And and by the way, uh, MLK would have been spied on by the NSA today, if you understand. For those Democrats that. Don't think it's a problem, much less Republicans, that the FBI, the NSA, the blanket spying on American people. I mean, he was considered a great threat and was looked after by looked, at, you know, spied on by FBI by federal agencies. And right. so, if you think you want to give the the president now because he's Obama and you like Obama authority to lead by executive order, just wait till you get a president in the, that that you don't perceive to be on your side. It's not a good idea to put all of that power into the hands of one person i mean that's our, I mean, our founding that, fathers don't
0: they call that a fiefdom or a dictatorship or a, yeah yeah, yeah. i thought i wasn't sure i could thought maybe i was maybe i had been asleep too long or something yeah
1: separation of was... powers is a good thing when people complain hey there's too much gridlock i say there's not enough gridlock you know yeah. if they if just leave us the hell alone right yeah. um and again that's you know one of the mlk messages and some will say well you're twisting his words no i don't i don't think so i mean he was all about freedom and Equality. And of course, it, you know, we're not born equal. That's the weird thing. Unless you look deep into the, you know, who we really are as soul. And we could say, yeah, then soul equals soul. But in terms of abilities and, you know, socioeconomic status, everybody's got a different status and standing and even perceiving that standing in a different way. You know, some perceive equal uh, to be an economic thing, others perceive it to be, uh, you know, something else. I think our founder said opportunity was what we wanted to have an equal access to opportunity, which is different than being gifted or given things.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Robert. You know, and not to bring up uh, something off-topic here, but I think it is kind of on-topic, is mm-hmm. what happened with Rand Paul and how they took him out of the um, the, uh, debate the debate yeah, and said that, that he didn't meet the criteria, when in fact he did, and there were three people that were on the stage at the main debate that did not meet the same criteria he did, uh, and they allowed them to be on there. So it was interesting what he did He didn't allow himself to be uh, relegated into that category, and took his message directly. And uh, from what I understand, the the undercard, or whatever they call it, the other other version, what was it called?
1: Oh, the undercard debate. I mean, the second tier. Yeah, Rand did a smart thing. He didn't appear, and he ended up getting far more publicity, appearing on far more shows, and and getting a message out than he would have if he would have done the dance with the
0: yeah two million versus fifteen million.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens as it goes forward. He's got a good ground game in Iowa. Again, he's the, he's the candidate that we have to say if we were to uh, support someone who loves liberty and is more judicious in the use of, of military power, uh, I think he's the guy in that regard. All right, we'll, uh, we'll be back with more powerful healing. It's Advanced Medicine on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Remember, medicalrewind.com, easy access to the archives. We'll talk kidney stones next. Who'd
0: you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: All right, we've got a lot more healing to go. A couple of segments to do it in. Dr. Rashi Bittar is my co-host every week when we do advanced medicine together. Medicalrewind.com. Remember, if you're a new listener, the incredible book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, international best-selling book. I, I don't know if I told you, uh, Dr. Patar, my son, Elijah, you know, uh, one of his classmates is he, bringing it to school every day and reading it. One of his classmates is really? reading the Nine step to keep the doctor away. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, it's a kid I may have mentioned on the air. He's he's uh, high-functioning in Asperger's, he, and his father knows that it was the vaccines that did it. And uh, he's actually reading your book. Very intelligent. Like you said, the allele for intelligence, or however you described it, guy is smart as a whip. Hmm.
0: That's yeah. pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, so I was I was liking to hear that good good news. So uh, we got let's see what else we got to talk. There's so many stories here. I don't even know where to begin. There's one on kidney stones on the rise in women, kids, and African Americans. Do you see a common dietary factor in the elevated risk for kidney stones? I don't know whether it's all related in the same the same way for women, kids, or African Americans.
0: Well, I think there is a um, not. I wouldn't say necessarily like a dietary type thing or. or... It's definitely not a congenital type thing or anything like that. It's more a um, metabolism type thing. So I think if you put the right combinations of uh, unique metabolism with uh, certain types of dietary risk factors and certain types of ethnicities that may be maybe more prone, there may be some correlation there. Mm-hmm. So we do see people that have had, for example, uh, parents with... Uh, nephrolithiasis-type pictures where the, the kid may end up having that too, but that doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to have it. It just means that their propensity or the genetic predisposition to acquire that issue is going to be greater perhaps if given the same environmental conditions, and that seems to be consistent not just with kidney stones but with pretty much anything.
1: Right. Well, and the thing is there's no question it's a dietary issue, and, of course, it's a detox issue. Yeah, yeah you know, We talked about the fact if the liver's not going at 100%, the, the kidneys are going to suffer no matter what because the, the, the liver's going to pass things on the kidneys aren't normally designed to handle. I mean, I know it sounds simplistic. Sometimes we got to just kind of get that to that basic level to help people understand how critical the function of the liver is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And not just the liver, uh, mm-hmm. but also the, the entire organs of detoxification, the, the entire spectrum. So looking at the gut, the liver, the kidneys, and then, um, you know, to uh, relatively lesser strength, you're looking at things like the lungs and the skin, um, systemic pH and that type of stuff. But primarily the liver, the kidneys, and the gut, those three things, those three organs of elimination, mm-hmm. really if you can get those three things working to their optimum, you're going to be so far ahead of the game. Uh, it's not even funny. It's, it's, you're going to be, you know, in the top, you're going to be in the top 10%.
1: Yeah, and I know it's been a few years since med school, but which year was it that you guys were taught about liver congestion in medical school? Oh, yeah, that was done, uh, never. (laughs) I'm like, you know, 5,000 years of Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, they've been talking about it, and it's like, well, it doesn't get taught in medical school. Why is that? That's interesting.
0: Neither does nutrition. Uh, Even though I've heard now that they've actually got a lecture or two, you know, about nutrition, but nutrition is the American Diabetic Association and the FDA Mm -hmm. food pyramid chart. I mean, that's the the idea of nutrition,
1: so there you have it. Speaking of nutrition, there's another story here associating high fish consumption during pregnancy, and it's linking it to to, uh, some brain benefits for the developing baby. And, of course, a little bit counterintuitive, although we've we've tackled the controversy a bit, you know, of course, mercury and fish. Uh, recognizing that if you ingest fish, there's a there's a normal protective mes- mechanism in the diet through a healthy GI tract versus injecting mercury through a vaccine or other sources so that you may have, as some of the science is showing, more benefit than less, even if so, the fish contains some level of mercury.
0: Yeah, the docosahexaenoic acid found inside of fish oils and, and fish, specific, I mean, it, it's fantastic. It's for the brain, for the developing... Brain, it's uh, almost essential, but it is fantastic from a prevention standpoint. It is one of the basic fundamental components of all nutritional medicine, regardless of what belief system you come from, whether you're functional or, or I think that, I think that even going far back into Ayurvedic, and correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, but even mm-hmm. go back into the ancient times, they talked about fish, and that's one reason that much of the Far East culture. Uh, Korean Chinese as a high consumption of fish or recommendation for fish is that is that not right the re- same reason? Oh problem?
1: yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. When we talk about Ayurvedic medicine and what they call ancient Chinese medicine, it, it, you have a lot of similarities. Although they'll you know, speak in different languages, obviously, but it, it really translates similarly. And that these diets rich in, of course, minerals through the sea, even if it contains mercury. That it's not the same thing as getting injected mercury, which some of our skeptic opposition would argue. Well, you're getting mercury from this, and this. you know it's like the pathways of in inflow and outflow are, are radically different when you inject it as a vaccine.
0: Yeah, because one is um, being assimilated into the when you have an organic component that's added to the inorganic mercury, like a methyl group or an ethyl group, something like that it does make it assimilated in the body um, easier. But something like phenylmercury, which is another uh, organic component, so phenylmercury is going to kill a person within six to nine months of exposure, uh, versus methylmercury, which the body has um, a better compensatory mechanism for. Ethylmercury, or thimerosal, is, depending on who you talk to, Anywhere from 500 to 1,000 times more detrimental to the physiology than is methylmercury, which is found within the the seafood yes. or within fish. So, certainly, the positive benefits of the docosahexaenoic acid, the fish oils that that specific the, that specific component of the of the uh, fish oils is the vital nutrient uh, ingredient that. Seems to be so preventive and so beneficial and nourishing to the brain, especially the developing brain.
1: Sure. Well, and I just wish these so called authorities would warn folks against mercury in vaccines or mercury in dental fillings the way they are so aggressively warning about mercury coming from fish because there is a difference.
0: Perfect example of, you know, causing distraction and and trying to take the issue off. This is why they have all the the, uh, reality shows. And not talking about the real
1: issues on the the planet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, one of the biggest impacts of of mercury is on the nervous system. And I want to transition to another damager of the nervous system. But, uh, you know, in theory, you're asking yourself, well, how did that happen? Because chemotherapy, isn't it designed to attack the fast replicator reproducing cells like cancer cells? And that's why we also see the immediate side effects of chemotherapy like uh, on the loss of hair, fast dividing cells. But in this case, they're acknowledging long-term neurological damage to chemotherapy. What's going on there?
0: The long-standing the long standing damage from chemotherapy, meaning that the damage induced by chemotherapy lasting a long time, Robert?
1: Correct. Yeah, it, it, they're acknowledging that it damages the nerves and it's a long-lasting thing, whereas their argument was, well, chemo is really only targeting the fast-reproducing cells, and you don't think of the nerves as fast-reproducing.
0: Well, let's take this from, instead of talking about the the nerves, let's, instead of talking about the 500 foot elevation view, let's talk about the 30,000 elevation view. So you can take this same thing that we were about to talk about with the nerve damage to the heart muscle damage to the liver uh, issue mm-hmm. to almost everything, chemotherapy, in fact, we covered this about a year ago on the show, Robert. We talked about cardiomyopathies induced from post-chemotherapeutic uh, regimen. Yes, yes. You know, later on in life, children that were treated for chemo with chemo for cancer in their in their teens, then dying in their 30s from uh, myocardial infarctions because of the uh, chemotherapy-induced um, cardiomyopathies that they acquired. So, chemo causes damage beyond. Um, the cancer. We know that it causes collateral damage. It's like having a rat infestation and t- using napalm to wipe out the entire, uh, you know, block as well as three city blocks around it.
1: Um,
0: it causes catastrophic damage, and the damage is not just limited to what you see now. It's also going to cause a permanent disfigurement, if you will, yes. to the entire system, and that leaves scars that people have to deal with for the rest of their lives. Uh, assuming that it doesn't kill them in the first place.
1: Well, and this is what, remember, um, what was the woman's name? She was the young lady who was also at the Truth About Cancer uh, event that we were attending. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was given chemo against her will because she had done her homework with her mother about yep. those long-term damage ramifications. And she had they put a port on her, remember? She had a scar from it and everything. And she, she definitely had some damage due to her injury due to the chemo that she was, you know, everybody was actively helping her to recover from. But most people don't ever learn that. Even if they survive the cancer, these have these long-term effects, and they they'll go through life and mystified by the next level of disease that their body is racked or ravaged with.
0: Right. She's the one that said that. Uh, um, I think she just kept on repeating the fact that I don't consent. I don't. Give I consent. do
1: not consent. Yes, I know. And, and those people who violated her consent should be. You know. You know. Those are the things where I go. They should be. If there's a hell to be condemned to it, at least for a while to make up for that horrible thing that they did to her, because she said can, while they were strapping her down, while they were administering, I do not consent, I do not consent, and they did this anyway. I mean, that is one of the most vicious, horrible things you can do to anyone.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's, it was a pretty um, sad story but inspirational at the same time because it showed you know what she went through and what she dealt with and how she never, how she never gave up. So mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed with her story
1: well exactly exactly hey there's good news uh we'll maybe we'll get a little bit more on this but we've talked about the attacks on chipotle since they declared themselves free of genetically engineered ingredients or going gmo free uh there's another uh semi-fast food kind of restaurant company that's trying to clean up their act i just wonder if they're going to be attacked in the same way it is apparent that chipotle got attacked have you heard of this place called panera bread company yeah yeah they're evidently really trying to clean up their act they're uh Pulling a lot of the preservatives the artificial colorings and flavorings for instance out of their soups they do offer uh, some more free range options i think they may ha- even have some organic things including some of the grains perhaps they are doing in their breads uh so the trend is on not because the government says they're supposed to do it. in fact the government seems to work against companies that are trying to clean up their act but it shows the power of the people now demanding and only going to those places as mcdonald's is suffering uh goes to the places that people say you know the food we feel better about the food here
0: yeah, I think, again, as we've talked about so many times, it's when the public demands it, mm-hmm. and that's when things actually change. And these are the companies that I think their, um, their share prices will reflect that because they're listening to what the public wants and they're catering to it.
1: All right, time permitting, uh, we may go into the five health foods that aren't worth the money, uh, but I think I'd like to find out from Dr. Batar, are genetics the key to a nation's happiness? Oh, man, they're always going to genes on this. What is it with the nation's genes? Does a nation even have genes? We'll talk about it. Advanced medicine continues after this break. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert
0: Scott Bell Show. Yeah. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: All right, probably going to listen to some more Glenn Fry music after the show, just as we acknowledge the Eagles front guy has uh, passed away from, uh, honestly, modern medicine ultimately, but of course, a lifestyle that embraced uh, better living through chemistry in the 20th century as the baby boomers did. Now it's coming home to roost. Uh, Dr. Batar, we're here doing advanced medicine, hopefully to reverse it before it's too late. Yeah. Uh, In, you know, Glenn Fry's case and David Bowie's case and uh, Rick, uh, well, well, we can't save everybody. We know that, but we're here for those who are ready. The ears to hear, the eyes to see, uh, the heart to, uh, I guess you could say listen to, but uh, to really uh, play it out and bring the power to heal back where it belongs to each and every one of you. Now, question about genetics. You know, they oversold genetics in the 20th century big time. Human Genome Project and everything. But now we got an article questioning genetics in this way. Could genetics be the key to a nation's happiness? I read this and I'm like, I don't know whether to la I don't know what to make of this article.
0: Well, um I'm not gonna say what I said off the air during the break, but <laughs> I think I think that most people with uh, a couple of neurons firing when they read through the article and they see where it came from and those type of things, then they'll
1: mm-hmm. The what you you don't like the the Berkeley Greater Good Science Center? <laughs> yeah. I mean it, it, along with Romper Room it's, it's it's right up there at the high levels of science. Come on, That's genetic. Right. What is it? I mean really, when we talk about a nation's happiness is it genetics? Come on, really? What what could be a key to a nation's happiness?
0: You know, I think if we if we looked at it, we could look at how how well are the people um fed, or how well are the people, you know, the, what, what type of opportunities do they have, etc., etc. et cetera. Now, it, what was interesting is that they saw that countries such as Mexico and Colombia mm-hmm. and other countries, uh, Nigeria and uh, some other African countries... Ghana. Ghana, right. Yeah. It was, it was very high in. I bet you if they looked at South Africa, I have found that the countries that I've gone to where there's a lot of oppression, there's a lot of... Um, class warfare i bet you like if they looked in india for example in, in certain areas people that don't have that much seem to for whatever reason be in a higher state of gratitude I don't yes know if you've yes that, Rob, yes you yes know?
1: i agree you know i've been to nigeria and ghana And these are folks that, and I've said this on the air probably with you as well, I said, you know, my life was changed forever for the better when I visited those countries because I met people that had such golden hearts, such gratitude for every breath, every day. They didn't know whether they were going to wake up or live through the next day. And they embraced every moment like it was their last. And I thought, wow, could we learn something from that? Because we take so much for granted in the advanced West.
0: Yeah, we really do. And I think that's where it is. It's, It's a contentment. And appreciation that you have air to breathe and even though you don't have sustenance uh, sufficient or adequate or you may not even have clean water they're just grateful for being in, in, a, in a state of existence and so I think it comes down to when you have people that are spoiled, people that become um, uh, that expect and the entitlement attitude is created and all these other aspects, it's just the individual's Choice to be happy or not. Right. That, that when you're in a society where people are in a state of greater gratitude, then you're going to have that perhaps the manifestation of this happy gene or whatever they call right, it.
1: Right. The happy gene. Yes.
0: Right. And 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 the key is that again they're forgetting that the gene is nothing more than the expression of the environment anyway.
1: Right. Exactly. The
0: environmental trigger that causes the expression of the gene.
1: Listen, I, I got gratitude flowing out my, my ears, except I was pissed off when I didn't win the lottery.
0: I understand that.
1: No, I'm just kidding. I didn't even buy a ticket. <laughs> I'm just I mean you say you people I met people that have nothing that are happier than people that are saying, I, I need more. I want more, you know? And the poorest people in America in many cases have what, two cell phones, et cetera. So perspective is in order, I think.
0: I think I think it's a very, very wise words.
1: What's the freedom quotient again? And we go back to the MLK statement that I that I really like and appreciate today. Freedom is never given, voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed or rewon by the oppressed. I think that's a good message to, to leave on today.
0: I think uh, that is a great message, Robert.
1: Yeah. Well, everybody, remember this is the place for health, freedom, and healing liberty. Two hours a day, six days a week. We do extraordinary advanced medicine together with Dr. Bittar every Monday. And, of course, if you miss the show, available through our syndicator GCN, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Epic Times. UK Health Radio, and, of course, the new TalkNetwork.com, TalkNetwork.com, and MedicalRewind.com, the easiest place to find the archives of advanced medicine, MedicalRewind.com. Dr. Bittar, take us out. The power to heal is yours. Yes, it is, my friend.
0: The Robert Scott Robert Scott Bell Show.